Good morning. I'm on the road um, taking our babysat dog up to uh, visit his master. And so, some background noises, uh, some there's something squeaking in the back of the car. I hope you don't hear that. I do. And we are out for our day's activities. As a conclusion to this section of what is God, I wanted to talk about it very personally. The thoughts leading up to this talk, and even even thoughts that were part of this talk, are new to me. I I never went there before. I couldn't. I, I was not allowed to. I, I do think that I honestly considered as honest as, as you can be. I think I honestly considered creation as a tool of interpretation. And as such, as a tool of interpretation, um, I mean, I think I, I looked at it mostly that way. But I will tell you that I never looked at evolution as anything other than a tool to escape the demands, the expectations of a God. So I assume that if you believed in evolution at the heart of that belief was a shaking fist saying, God, I don't want to do what you say. So what changed? Well, a lot of things changed. Not the least of which is I find a lot of people who say they believe in God who are shaking their fist at God saying, God, you don't get to tell me what to do. Um, and and I, I actually think that a lot of a lot of my state of mind, my worldview, was based on a religious structure which values saying, values intellectual assent to theological claims more than values behavior. You are a better person if you say you believe in God and do bad things than if you say you don't believe in God and do good things. And I suppose that's based on the sort of the fundamental premise of, I would say, the evangelical church, that wing of the church that I grew up in, that says if you know something, it will modify your behavior. So they, they believe the pathway is from the intellect to the behavior. Um, I think there are plenty of challenges to that. I think it takes, it is possible for that pattern to be realized. But I do not think that, that it's anything like positive. That if you believe something, you will start acting without.
However it came to me, I assumed that anybody who espoused evolution at the root of it was that resistance to God. And I didn't want to go there. Because for me, I, I have made a, a, I would say, a significant investment in making sure I would go anywhere that God was telling me to go. So, so maybe to a certain sense, I, I am paranoid that I will begin to explain away God's demands in my life because I will tell you the craziest of God's demands have been the most fulfilling in my life. The things that I was sure couldn't be right. When I did them, I, I found whole new vistas open to me. And so, I will uh, assume that that is true of all. That you will, if you seriously attempt to do what God says, you will find find new enlightenment and new new laws of the universe and you will not be disappointed. That's my assumption. That's ultimately what I want. So I didn't go to the place where I saw people or I assumed people only went if they were resistant towards God because I did not want to be resistant towards God. But I went there. And the talks that are before are sort of the summary of that. And what I discovered is simply, I'm not good at simplifying, but as simply as I can put it is I found that there is The interpretation, as a tool of interpretation, evolution and creation both participate in the same question and search for an answer. And by and large, I think that for someone honest, it comes down to a matter of temperament or maybe experience. I had a, I had a remarkable example of that yesterday. I went and helped a friend building a barn. This friend, he's actually my wife's niece's husband, I don't know what that is, my nephew outlaw. Anyway, I went and helped him building a building and he is a super patient man. Um, I have a lot of respect for him, but he will work on a project. One guy, and oh man, life is complicated when you are Sorry, those are my windshield wipers. I have a considerable amount of ice on my windshield, and I decided that it wasn't exactly safe. And so I'm sitting at our dumpster site, I'm waiting for my windshield to clean off because I have not equipped my car with a scraper. Um, sorry about that little aside. So Nathan builds and he will patiently nail one board and then the next. And it takes him a long time. 
I have also, um, not recently, but uh, not too long ago, I have also transported Amish to a barn raising. Um, and you have an incredible number of people gathered and this barn goes up in a day, day and a half. So, Nathan's son would look at building as the product of one builder over several hundred days. The Amish man's son would look at building as the product of several hundred people in one day. Their perspective would fit their background and their temperament and, and, and all sorts of things. Well, I am convinced of this, that evolution took countless iterations. I, I really believe that, and, and one of the reasons I believe it, I think I mentioned it, but it's fascinating to me, is that that's what I do. I have an impulse and then I play it out in a portion of my brain devoted rather rather specifically. I'm part of my brain specialized for that. I play it out. And if my little avatar in my brain plays it out in the simulation successfully, then I implement it into reality. And I'm so used to doing this that I don't actually think about it, but if I consider it, I realize, yes, I do that. I do that consistently. And I think that the picture of that is a great picture of how God as a creator, if that is indeed how it is best to look at this, how God as the creator envisioned one organism and then played it through and said, well, what if I did this to this? What if I did that? And played it out in a certain direction. Because it could have been played out in other directions. The similarities that we have. Now, if that happened in the mind of God, or if that happened on the planet, I still argue that it is the result. What we have, life today, is a result of uncountable iterations guided by some apparently benevolent force. So, evolution somewhat adequately answers that. If you make certain assumptions and place your faith in certain ideas. Creation somewhat less adequately answers it. If you place your faith in certain things and make certain assumptions. And the thing that I realized as I've talked this through, as I've thought this through and then shared it, is that the, the real question is not the question of whether that happened 
I'm satisfied that it did. It isn't even the question of where those cycles happen, those iterations happen. I, I don't really care because I will tell you the facts. Sort of before 1967, actually, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, I don't have my first memories until about 1970. So until 1970, it's all a fuzz. And so back at the furthest reaches of time, I don't really, I can't really care whether this was happening in the mind of God or on a planet. And I certainly, although I'm probably going to be foolish enough to attempt it in the near future, I certainly couldn't really hope to explain how the mind of God might interact with what we call reality. So then the issue shifts. It is not an issue of creation or evolution. It is a fact that something apparently benevolent has optimized life. Even while, from every observation, matter is becoming less optimized. Matter is hurtling on towards increasing chaos. And life is optimizing. And so it appears to be benevolent. And I know it doesn't appear to be benevolent in the individual. I mean, the tall giraffes survived while the short-necked giraffes giraffes died during a drought. That doesn't seem very benevolent. But the long-necked giraffes were increasingly able to survive, so generations of them benefited. So there's this appearance of benevolence in the evolutionary picture. But there's also a cruel heartlessness. It is interesting to me that we have the same issue. Most people's reaction to God in the Old Testament, we have the same issue in the Old Testament, that there is this God who is supposedly benevolent who all of a sudden does some pretty horrible things. So if evolution has a personality, it is a similar personality to God. But we say, no, evolution doesn't have a personality. As a matter of fact, we... we, we precisely don't blame evolution for being cruel and heartless. The survival of the fittest is a pretty cruel way of optimizing. We don't assert a moral, we don't uh, apply a moral value to that precisely because there isn't a personality. It's only in the moment that we assign that life force a personality then, because it has a personality, it falls under our moral judgment. There are people, I know, who have chosen to believe in evolution because they are convinced that God is mean. Well, what's going on there? Apparently, what's going on is they're saying, if this is an impersonal life force, 
then meanness and cruelty isn't hatred. But if there is a personality, then that cruelty amounts to hatred. Or that, that ruthlessness amounts to cruelty, whichever word you use. It is what happened in humans. When we became aware of our vulnerabilities, our eyes were opened, and suddenly evil entered the world. Because we knew what hurt us, we knew how we could hurt others. Animals aren't cruel. Animals behave according to their instinct, and they eat things up. But they are not cruelly eating things, they are eating things. But humans, we're aghast when we hear some story of cannibalism, right? Because we know, we are conscious. So the issue becomes an issue of not did life get optimized over a series of iterations that occurred somewhere. The issue becomes does this force which optimizes life have a personality? Because if it has a personality, then to us it participates in morality. If it has none, then it can't participate in morality. I started this whole thing talking about a, a description of gravity as this cold force. And so when we fall off a ladder because we were careless, we don't think that maybe gravity is out to get us. Because it's impersonal. And I made up a story where instead of describing gravity, I described gravity as this, as this force of this large planet that holds me to itself so I don't go flying off. It keeps track of me. It gives me an anchor. And you might like that picture until you fall off your ladder. And then what do you say? You say, why does gravity hate me so? They are very interesting descriptions of, of God. Does it have a personality? Well, does it matter? That's probably the bigger question. Does it matter if I ascribe to God a personality or if I'm terrified that if I described him as having a personality, then I would think that he might hate me. And so to insulate myself from the possibility of a God justly or unjustly hating me, I decide to keep God in this box that says it's just a force, an impersonal force 
doesn't matter. Either way, God is God. Whatever he is, whatever it is, it is that, regardless of what I think of it. Well, the first thing I would say is, I'm not out to tell somebody that they need to believe that God has a personality. I'm not out to tell anybody anything about God. I am doing this to share what I believe. Not to try to create a religion even big enough for two. I am creating the method by which I see God. And I'm satisfied with my observations. Okay. But I will tell you something, and, and I think this is the crux. Because it's just what I've gone through. I started to have these thoughts, and I was like, wait a minute. Is God nothing more than this impersonal force? Have I been fooling myself, pretending he has a personality? And then I look back at the things that I have in my life. The coincidences that are so far beyond coincidence. And I realize. And it's a danger that I'm at least willing to warn you of. If you are willing to come to God and let him be what he is, then I have no worries. But if you decide that you cannot afford to let God have a personality. I think there is a genuine danger that you will miss out on a very rich part of human existence. I believe God has a personality. And it adds an incredible richness to my life. Am I deceiving myself? Possibly. But I don't think so. I think that because I say God may have a personality, that I am open to, my eyes are open to genuine evidence that God, in fact, does have a But if I say there is no way God can have a personality, I close that door. And I have a God who, right, doesn't love me, but at least he doesn't hate me. A God who doesn't love me, but at least he doesn't hate me. I think there is so much more. It's the heart of the uniqueness of Christianity. Is, is uh, These claims about God are intermixed with these claims that somehow he is love. Which could be 
a figment of our collective imagination. But if you decide that God must only be a personality-less force, an impersonal power, you play it safe. But if you would be willing to take the risk that there is a personality behind this force, you might find something like what I have found. Not a tool to beat people over the head and force them into your little box. Not a way to intellectually demand that others give assent to what you believe is true, but an incredible force in the universe that not only optimizes life, but optimizes your place in that life. I think it's too good an offer to miss.